0: Hey folks, Docalos, that's you. You're a Docalo, if you enjoy the Documenteers, or have ever enjoyed it, even for a second. You're a Docalo. I haven't said that in so long. A Docalo, is to the Documenteers, as a Juggalo, is into Insane Clown Posse. I do assume that y'all drink Fago while listening to this podcast. Now, I've tried enough Fago to determine if I like it, and I've yet to find one. But, uh, did you know that Fago's owned by the same corporation that owns Lacroix. Lacroix boys and uh, Juggalos should throw a big festival together, and maybe there can be a bridge where you can buy any drug you want, and you can smoke a blunt with Twiztid. I mean, of course, Twiztid would be there, along with Ya Dead Homie and the whole psychopathic family. It would uh, also feature guys rocking NPR tote bags and Jesus-looking people. With the wide-brim hats like Carly Simon. I'm kind of stretching on the LaCroix stereotypes. I think that probably isn't a LaCroix stereotype at all. I I know a lot of people... I've I've watched people... A lot of people drink that. I've drank plenty. It will never taste good no matter how many times you try. But the wide-brim hat thing... I think think that was just on my mind. Because that stuff... Maybe it's everywhere. But all that shit is all over the trendy spots in Nashville. Like... Like your uh, hokey folky suspenders-wearing bands getting pushed in our our alt-weeklies and shit has to... They all trot out those hats. It's tired. Every goddamn time, like they're in the fucking Lumineers or some shit. Thinking about the Lumineers just makes me feel like I'm glazing over throughout my whole body. Sorry if you like that band or those hats. I actually rarely declare absolute distaste in music very much these days it was something I did when I was younger for sure although I still got opinions but I can sometimes find ways to appreciate spectacularly shitty music like that Kiss song Lick It Up that song is so fucking dumb anything Corey Feldman does you can be terrible and make me laugh if you're terrible in a special way I mean ICP it always comes back to the cloud anyways welcome to the documenters podcast each week we discuss a different documentary i am the main host bob sham and this episode is a repackaging of 2 30 for 30 episodes drew and i did over at culture rot i chippy chopped them up and cut some stuff out and pieced basically two episodes in one i'll leave the culture rot theme drops which were probably my favorite part of making culture rot I'd like to incorporate that kind of fun into this new era of Documenteers going forward. I also cut out us uh, explaining something called the Bill Simmons Penis Rating System, which Drew and I, perhaps also even you, the listener, likely will appreciate that not being included. But you can hear those over on the CultureRot feed. We wanted to continue attempting to watch all of the 30 for 30s that we started at Documenteers over at CultureRot, and now Documenteers is returning, but I think it's good. To incorporate the two we've done into the feed uh, for completionist purposes and to tidy you over until the all-new episodes. The official return of the documentaries will be on June 1st. That's a Tuesday and we will drop weekly every Tuesday. I do plan on doing shorties again, but I would like to put some focus into worthy premium content in the near future. But in the meantime, maybe you haven't heard that Drew and I discussed these 30 for 30s yet. We kind of go hard on both of them, not unlike the Kiss song, Lick It Up. They're both bad in their own special way. Keep it subscribed to the Dogmeteers for the upcoming Doc Boy Summer. That's right, Doc Boy Summer. It's gonna be lit, says the 40-year-old. Let's go forward into this special repackaging of content that exists somewhere else. Keep on docking.
1: Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. Sixteen thousand separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel.
2: The athleticism was daunting for me. I mean that was
1: very intimidating when I went out there, and your body language really pissed me off at times. I, had I have no to tell idea you. what body language is. You said body
2: language, language. I don't know what you're talking and about. It's just it's just the way it is. You can't replace it. You don't like it, you're better when he first came in here he thought he was a jerk to be honest with you we right said 80 times hey guys on shall right be careful Board I know 14. better now that's it. Oh, what but I, I appreciate you what, what Everett-Lloyd. There's never you been a to like this in I want you to
0: go out there and bust your butt. During your there were times when and I was envious, envious and jealous of you. She's
2: gonna Thank you. When I started winning a
0: lot, I was always the favorite. I was always the visiting villain too. Yeah, you know,
1: playing the American girl next door, muscular lesbian, and follow my lesbian from a communist country. I was tougher than you like your images oh, blood was the tough one and I was I would be like laughing because I knew I was the tougher one
0: wish um that this app that we're talking through had some kind of feature that would turn you into a cartoon so i could get off (laughs) i would be absolutely shocked if that's not an option yeah they figure there would be i mean they're pretty (laughs) much there looking hard enough i want to look like a doe-eyed rabbit like was snapchat right i i i do have a snapchat account i can't do anything with it i'm like I'm 40, man. Like I can't, what am I going to fucking do with this? TikTok now, man. Yeah. That's even, that's... <laughs> well, TikTok has become so prominent that like I watch a lot of TikTok videos without having a TikTok account and the shit I see people doing on here, TikTok is a so huge right now in 10 years, it will be considered the lamest social, it will be like the Facebook of video apps and shit. I promise you.
1: That's why cool dudes
0: like me. All I use is boomerang. Bo? Is that still a thing? I think boomerangs on the
1: isn't that on Twitter or something? Wait, is there remember. like the new uh, the new Nazis only one for everyone who's pissed off about the election or whatever? Oh, Parlor.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you're a fascist uh, dog shit, you can go to Parlor. So that's what we're talking over.
2: <laughs> you know,
0: it is within the bounds of this show to delve into things that we're not into. It might be an idea to like. But at the same time, everyone can probably pretty much guess what's going on over there. So, I don't know if I want to... I'm willing to do things that I'm not too into for the sake of the show, but, like, I don't... Inundating myself with fascist shit, I don't think it'll turn me or anything. But, like,
1: <laughs> but I just get... This is going to take a hard right turn, so you're not... So
0: opposite end of the spectrum from a fascist. I get mad enough every day. Yeah, just pat yourself on the back there, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll tug and pat myself. By the way, can you put on that uh that uh Bugs Bunny costume again? Uh no no reason, just like it helps me get through the day.
1: I assume that's the number one basic hit. I just wanted to give you guys some ratings on, you know, our first episode together. <laughs> we're back, think, yeah, that's how that was going to work. We're back to square one. We're
0: we're we're back to building up, but yeah, I think um I got I will have to find a good place for that picture of you that I captured is too good.
1: <laughs> but, Told you, man. Bugs Bunny, all-American hero. Now, Drew. Big fan. <laughs> now, Drew, for two and a half years, we
0: did a... We, you were one of the, my co-hosts, one of many co-hosts, on our documenteer show, which can still be uh, subscribed to and looked back on. And we had this journey to watch every ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. And that is one... Which out- we did. We watched all of them. <laughs> oh, God, there was so. there's still so many. And well we got through we got through the majority of the first season of thirty for thirty over the span of two and a half years
1: unfinished business
0: and I think you and I will have like you know talk about a lot of things surrounding sports on the culture rot, but I do want to continue the journey through the thirty for thirties and for this episode I would miss that and for this episode, that's exactly what we're doing because and this i've been waiting for a while to get into the into this specific one because i remember watching this way back when it came out and just like laughing at it for reasons that it would not it probably is unintended by the documentary but we're talking about unmatched by lisa lax and nancy stern winters one of the early early 30 for 30s in the first year uh what what's this about drew
1: this is 30 for 30 number 21 yeah. We're there, man. We did it. Number 21. That is kind of unbelievable. Number one, we, we went through that many. Number 1 here on the Culture Rot. So hey, just uh first of all, thanks for bringing it back cuz I had a lot of fun talking about 30 for 30s with you on Documenteers podcast. Yeah. It's a little different than, uh, you know, what I can do with the the weekly radio talk show, sports talk show that I do here in Nashville. So it's good getting on the podcast and talking some shit. And just having fun with these 30 for 30s. So I'm excited that even though your old podcast is dead and not buried. Yeah. Much loved. (laughs) We did did some cool stuff there that I still really like. I'm happy you can still listen to it. Go get yourself caught up. And I want to continue this journey. So let's keep going, man. More 30 for 30s. That's right. Just with some new stees in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The, the The old podcast is stopped dead.
0: But yeah, we didn't bury it. We just left the corpse in a public place, and you can go, <laughs> go look at it. Like Stand by Me, just if you go back, <laughs> a formative experience for anyone. If, if you go back to the documenters, you're basically like the kids from Stand by Me. I'm
2: never gonna get out of this town now, my Gory. You can do anything you want, man. Yeah.
1: Sure. Time to grow up, kids. Yeah. Just poke (laughs) that thing a couple times with a stick. Get some good episodes out of it. Is that movie still good?
0: I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen it. I I bet it's still pretty good. Uh, Jerry O'Connell, right? Uh, One of the Hobbits is in it. (laughs) Uh, The the Corey the Feldman is in it. The other. The Rudy Hobbit. Yeah, Rudy Hobbit. (laughs) Rudy Baggins is in there.
1: Are we doing this thing again where we want to watch a bad 30 for 30 and we're just avoiding it? Yes. Drew, tell me what I the fuck. <laughs> just give it out. What is this about? All right. Our first 30 for 30 here on Culture Rot, Number 21, Unmatched. The story of two women going to Pier 1 together <laughs> and
0: driving around. Karen's in cars um, <laughs> sipping pumpkin spice lattes.
1: The most boring Lifetime original movie. (laughs) The sequel to a Lifetime movie. (laughs) Whatever deadbeat male did some terrible shit in that movie, he's out of the picture. And now it's just the two women consoling each other over pumpkin spice lattes and tasteful interior decorations. I honestly don't even want to throw Lifetime
0: under the bus on this one because some of those cheesy Not Without My Daughter movies Angel and I actually find some of those to be a lot of fun in their own fun way. This was not fun. This was like a boring ass trudge to sit through. We're talking about Unmatched, directed by Lisa Lax and Nancy Stern Winters, a thirty for thirty film. As far as thirty, where to find thirty for thirty? I know they're on the ESPN Plus app. So I I think that yeah, all of them. So I think that comes with Disney Plus package. So you should have access to that if you have that. Um, and you, in some sweet DVD box sets. We got box sets because we're just nerdy like that. So if you're wondering where to find these, I think some are free to watch online. Certain ones, but I don't know about this one. ESPN, ESPN Plus, you'll find them. But this is about the tennis stars who were huge in their day. Chrissy Everett and Martina Navratilova. In their career, they played each other 80 times. They were rivals and best friends. I mean, 30 for 30s are all about sports. And... These are two people that do represent this sport at a high level, and their story is told in the most meandering, boring, fucking way you could possibly imagine. And that thirty got... years,
1: eighty matches, sixty finals, one friendship. I'd like to thank you for.
0: How many times did that song? Three play times in this
1: one episode. Three times.
0: Three the Natalie Merchant song Kind and Generous Plays three times in this episode And Drew, but no Sarah McLachlan the whole time And Drew, I just want to tell you That I appreciate you Being there for me Like throughout all thank these you. years thank Of you. podcasting And thank I just love your soul you. Your spirit is so fierce And I'm just so glad to be A half
2: of your whole I'm bound to thank you for
1: There were some times when I hated you because I thought that y- your your podcasting might have been better than my podcasting. But then I realized that without the push that your podcasting gave me, my podcasting would have been the podcasting that it was. Girl,
0: our periods are sinking together and I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs>
2: I'm bound to fuck for her. Da, da, da.
0: If you want a case for like that rich people are boring, this is a good film to throw up. What do you, you know th- that line where they say you should never meet your heroes? <laughs> <laughs> you met your tennis star heroes and boy were you did yeah. you fall asleep.
1: That's a pretty strong thing in sports. Never uh never try to dig into what's behind the scenes after your heroes are out of the game. <laughs> you know, I don't think I ever wanted to meet Michael Jordan in his prime.
0: But now that we're in post-crying Jordan, I would like to meet him and see if I can't get him to cry. Man, the last couple 30 for 30 episodes we did
1: were some really excellent television. Yeah, that's true. This one was not. No. This is boring as shit.
0: And I think the director, they had this approach. And if you told me this concept, like spitballing it, I might agree with this. But it's the execution that failed. You can tell that the director was like, look, we're not going to do any formal narrations. We are going to have clips, uh, which is my favorite part of even a bad 30 for 30 is old clips of athletes being good at what they're doing. But the director was probably like, let's not do this narration thing. Y'all are friends. Just sit down on the couch and be friends and just tell your story with each other. And what results is this some shit that's even more meandering than this podcast you're listening to. (laughs) <laughs> I wish they go off on this trip. They talk about their love, hates with each other and competing with it, with each other. But then they go on these like weird name-droppy stories like, oh my God, I remember when we were in Aspen and I met that guy and he skated backwards. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. And oh my God, girl. And here we are. <laughs> hey, uh, Did I put those sheets that
1: you just done on eBay?
2: I'm bound to find-
0: Martino was like, I should have put that bed you fucked on and got squirts and cum all over and put it on eBay. I went back after we... It's not
1: as interesting as this thing, as it sounds. No,
0: I went back to play the episode to see if I could find some cool audio, but my eyes were so glazing over that, honestly, I just don't have that much to, like, layer into this. It'll probably just be like...
1: You have one song. Yeah. One song played three times. Well, you better believe because our spirits are entwined and
0: I just couldn't have done it without you so you better believe that my my girl Natalie Merchant in her song Kind of Generous Girl is going to be fierce as hell playing all throughout this episode all
2: right I'm bound to fight you for her Da-da-da.
1: I'm just really excited that a podcast like yours never would result in cheap gimmicks like playing the same song over and over again. No. Throughout the episode. All. No, we we like to switch it up.
2: I'm bound to thank you for <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's something we could never do here. Twenty-five percent of this uh, thirty for thirty
1: is them like riding their cars like Jerry Seinfeld. I could not get over these riding in cars scenes, man. They were really kind of weirding me out. Cause at first, it it sort of looked like that cheap grease green screen shots that you always yeah. see, like Seinfeld, where the background's just there and they're in the car. You know, it looks like very Hollywood. Then they would have wide shots of them in the convertible. Yeah. Did you say <laughs> on that same road? It looks you, real. Did you say a grease
0: scene? Where- green screen. Oh, okay. Man. Well, a grease is appropriate because, like, at the end, Olivia Newton-John and Uh, John Travolta, they go, they're they're in that car and they go to heaven. I think that's symbolized- I was
1: getting a Thelma and Louise vibe, actually, a little bit. I was hoping they'd just take those scarves off, throw them over their heads. Yeah. And we can see where the nearest cliff is in Cape Cod or wherever the hell they were. Martina Navratilova went through some shit. Yeah, that's- She left her entire family in a different country and applied for asylum in America. And they even made that scene boring. Yeah, well, she said it was because she wanted to- She needed to
0: be more enveloped into tennis. I don't know, it seemed to work out fine for her. I'm sure she did struggle, though, as an out gay person, especially... Was she out in the 80s? So, yeah, I'm sure she dealt with shit then. Uh, She talked about how she was, in a really actually funny scene, how she was made into a villain. And she contrasted herself with Chrissy Everett by calling her the Osmonds of tennis. Which was such a... Oh, snap! A low-end shade burn on Chrissy Everett, even though they like each other. You could tell that they're still
1: kind of competitive. But Hold on, though. Which one is the marshmallow with the steel ball inside? That would be Chrissy. And, uh, Martina is the
0: steel ball with the marshmallow inside. And, uh, yeah. And they, they're they gonna go to Lululemon later, so if you want anything, just let them know <laughs> and they'll, they'll pick it up. Lululemon, the cult store for women.
1: Where the hell were the cameras on those car scenes? First thought someone was clinging to the hood filming them. No, the audio was too perfect for a convertible. It was obviously added in post. Yeah, yeah. They were mic'd,
0: separate tracks. I thought there was a hard cam on the hood, but like, unless they shot that car scene three different times with hard cam and one without, it looked like people were just around them. Some rig attached to the car. I don't know. I was
1: like, how? How did they look? There were some interesting ideas in this. The idea of, you know, The car thing, not that interesting, really, let's be honest. Yeah. It's only slightly interesting because the rest of it is so goddamn dull. But the idea of having a 30 for 30 that focuses on two well-known people with completely intertwined pasts and them interviewing each other for the entirety of this documentary, that's a really interesting idea. The directors aren't seen at all in this. They're not asking the questions. They're not leading the conversation. It's Martina and Chris Everett interviewing each other. The only problem is, (laughs) neither of them are really interviewers, and they've been friends for over 30 years, so they're just interviewing them, like, together at their house, talking.
0: Yeah, and it's like, hey, remember we were on that uh, blind date with Dean Martin's son, and he liked your muscles?
1: (laughs) Guess these muscles were good for something. We were at the
0: country club. What is it, you know, one thing that's, with tennis, you know, I mean, growing up, I knew plenty of people who played tennis but like when it's tennis is on that big stage it seems like it does cater to this kind of like economic elite aspect of it like you know like baseball players football players basketball players they come from a variety of backgrounds you know converge with their talent onto the sports but it seems like tennis and maybe even golf a little bit those sports seem to kind of like Are being bred in kind of more elite circles is that is that why
1: is that essentially what is turning us off from it because this was boring because it was poorly executed and it was basically stuff that would be on the cutting room floor of any more interesting documentary i think these directors just just either didn't care or weren't good enough for that to bring that story together so all we got was them like oh i love your scarf where'd you get it oh it's really nice i love yours too. Hey, remember that time we played tennis against each other? Which time? Oh, you remember that too? <laughs> Wine. It's yuppie shit. And outside of that yuppie bubble, it's just not interesting. But it would be boring if no matter who it was when it's this conversation. It's just made even worse because it's all filmed in a fucking B&B in Cape Cod or whatever it's the cape cod environment we can re-
0: we can relate to story even like a millionaire football player who came from nothing there's part of their stories that we can connect with their journey and we can respect the hard work that these women did through we we don't want to take that away from them but it was always in this bounds once martina got to once she saw the the, the tennis clubs man there was no going back to Czechoslovakia. and eh, i guess you can't blame her you know especially if there's they did more go back, though. Just
1: say hello, I guess, since it's some tournament. And then we got a really interesting story about how people didn't clap for her. But then the second time they did clap. Well, she said... "When well, they introduced Chris, everybody claps, and they introduced me, and then some most people clapped, but some didn't, you know? And some people even whistled. And it's like, well, how...
0: The government didn't clap. The government did not clap. <laughs> but yeah, it's like if Lilith Fair was, uh, was on uh, Martha's Vineyard, yeah, <laughs> and it was limited. I thought
1: this thing did take place <laughs> in Martha's Vineyard or Cape Cod or a B and B in Vermont. Wow, what insufferable boring
0: style too with this like that c- kind of coastal style where everything is like tan or white. It's like ugh, it's like nauseating. I'd rather have like I'd rather have magazine clippings all over the wall. That's like more appealing than the <laughs> than the type of
1: styles we saw throughout this. It, th- yeah, it just matched the boredom. This like. Pier one showroom of a room that most of this documentary took place in. Yeah. With the rest of it on a convertible or a walk on the beach. Have you ever been but, in Yeah, the, Take, take your pick of cliche.
0: Have you ever been into in world market? You know <laughs> what I'm talking about? <laughs> a time or two. I think it's like, I think it is a chain, but world market, the only part of, I, I will go into world market, but that's because they have like European candies and chocolates and shit. And so, but that's, I go, I beeline straight for that section. They also have like import beers and stuff, but there's a whole rest of world market, which is like overpriced. Man, what a
1: cool non-yuppie you are ignoring wicker baskets for your European candy.
0: But like, if you go into a world market, <laughs> I've gone into that world market to get fucking weird Haribo's. And I look around, I'm like, I'm one of like two men in this whole building. This 30 for 30 was like, was like the areas of world market that weren't the candy and beer. <laughs> the part you walk right by and you're like, Oh, this chair, how much is this chair? $2,000.
1: I'll keep walking. Did you watch this uh 30 for 30 with your wife? No, no. You think I it should be good to have a little bit of female perspective on this. Hmm. Cause obviously we don't give a shit about this world market decor and it would be boring to, I can imagine anybody watching this.
0: I think it might be, I think for Angela, she's going to need more than just watching other women to be interested in it. I mean, half the planet is oh, I'm women. I'm not saying it's going to be interesting. It's <laughs> going
1: to be boring, no matter what. No, she.
0: I don't think she'd like it, honestly.
1: Just saying, she might have uh, better reasons to criticize it than we do. <laughs> I know. I. I am a little
0: concerned. Are like, are we just going to be broing so hard on this shit? Are, are we just making fun of the what are what are we making fun here? We are just. Are we just going to? Are we just being like douchey bros on it? I do have that small concern, but I'll get over it. But it was really fucking boring. It was so goddamn boring. <laughs> I don't even know what much more to say about it at this point, but I do have things to talk more about.
1: Uh, what- we can talk about the actual story that was supposed to be there, right? Well, like the sports angle that makes this a thing. Well yeah, you know, go two ahead. of the greatest tennis legends of all time. That's, <laughs> that- they are legends, they are big time. It- It's super interesting how Chris Everett had basically come onto the scene as this young you know, all-American prodigy (laughs) that was about ready to take over the tennis world. Martina Navratilova shows up, uh, plays her first US match at like 15, and is super nervous, gets beat by Everett, but decides to dedicate herself to her training so hard that she ends up becoming the better of the two of them. Wins 14 matches in a row against Everett. For a 12-year period, one of the two of them was number one in women's tennis the entire time. Mm -hmm. Maybe this isn't so fascinating now that we're kind of... It kind of seems like the way tennis is, for the most part. Yeah, You know, is it Federer or Nadal? It's Agassi or Pete Sampras. It seems like there's always, like, these couple people at the top. McEnroe or Bjorn Borg. Everybody seems to have somebody against them that they can play off of. But this story was very cool and I wish they leaned into how interesting Navratilova's story was with her coming over there and basically, yeah, renouncing her Czech citizenship, leaving her family behind in a different country to try to take this next step in America and taking that next step, going through the intense training, being villainized as the Eastern European lesbian with the muscles while Chris Everett's the pretty blonde with the culturally... (laughs) (laughs) With the time period uh, haircut for every single year that she was playing tennis in.
0: When talking about her defection, she really didn't politicize it. She actually kind of explained it kind of practically. Like, she was just able to envelop herself more of that in the United States. She didn't really, like, say, like, Czechoslovakia sucks. Uh, At the end, she kind of talks about how, like, there is a part of it that remains in her heart. But it just, to do what she
1: needed to achieve... She just really couldn't stay there. I thought we were going to get a really cool scene in this documentary when it talked about how she decided that she needed to, you know, train her body physically to be the best, which was something that wasn't really that big a deal in women's tennis before Navratilova, you know? Even Chris Everett said the same thing. She was just kind of good at tennis, and they'd go and practice for two hours and then play the match. But Navratilova went through this intense training period And we almost got a Rocky montage out of it, man. We got headbands. We got sweatbands. We got a couple of sit-ups. And that was it. No Eye of the Tiger. If you edited... No uh, Burning Heart or whatever that song is. I
0: think if you did edit, that you could edit this down to an interesting montage of Chrissy Everett hairstyles. You
1: could tell which year it was just based on her hairstyle.
0: She ran the gamut. She was... You could tell she was... She would try any haircut at a point, it seemed.
1: And I liked... uh, I thought there was going to be an interesting angle there from Everett, too, when she was saying how, you know, she liked being kind of Martina's mentor into American tennis. And they played doubles together. They won Wimbledon together as double partners. But then once Martina started to beat her regularly, Everett kind of retreated from the friendship. It was like, wait, this is an actual threat. (laughs) I'm not going to play doubles together. Maybe she knows my game too good. So the doubles partnership is off. They're not practicing together anymore. It's an interesting story, and then how later on they could recon- reconcile, basically, that they weren't so competitive. You could tell it ate Everett up a little bit, because she kept going back to, okay, now we each have the same amount of trophies, even though you beat me more when we were playing head-to-head. Yeah, yeah. We're both great. We're both great. She had a, a little burden in her gut that is only now over wine and Pier 1 import tastefully decorated furnitures. And long walks on the beach. Oh my god, I got the new Natalie Merchant CD.
0: It's uh now got buried. it's got a dub remix of uh of kinda generous on it. And um and I'm just so happy that you've been there for me. And thank you. Thank I just feel you. our spirits Thank you. Thank you Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, spank you, Thank you. Spank you, spank you, spank you. Spank you, Spank you, Spank you, Spank you, Spank you, Spank you. I could do that all day. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Everett, uh, she she was dominant when Mar- uh, Navratilova was starting. Navratilova helped hone her dominant game against Everett. And then it gets to a point where Chrissy says that Martina had beat her like 14 times in a row before she was finally able to win one.
1: Because Chris Everett don't lose 15 times in a row to nobody. That's a good joke, Chris. I'll give yeah. you credit for that. <laughs> B plus.
0: If we have to hang our hat on something, let it be that. The bowl behind the couch. We kept thinking it was french fries. It was just dried out sea stars. But we were like, is that a bowl
1: of french fries? Did think it was a bowl of french fries for a while. <laughs> it's like when you walk into that Airbnb and it's a little too perfect. And you're just like, god damn it. Nobody actually lives here. Just some uh, some multinational conglomerate's idea of what a, a tasteful home is. Martina Navratilova almost talks about... How how hard it was for her, you know, coming to terms with her sexuality there, when she didn't know when she went on the date with Dean Martin's son, who was very handsome and they double dated. But they never delved into any of this story never got into it at all maybe because there was no interviewer there trying to push them towards more interesting conversation instead it was just two friends who've known each other for so long talking so it turned into hey do you remember that and then they'd giggle for a second and move on to the next thing what what is the dream thing in your like if you could
0: build a house and you had to have one ridiculous room with something in it like what room would that be mine would be like a like a small theater you know like with a giant like a giant screen like you're going to an IMAX theater with like you know enough seating for a, like a birthday party you know
1: wow how incredibly non vanilla of a of a textbook wild dream room that is what having a giant movie theater screen <laughs> that's in every rich person's house dude Uh, how many rich people's houses have you
0: been in i mean i've been in a i would have a
1: fucking water slide off the roof into a pool
0: that's what i would have that's your dude a 10 year old could make that up
1: yeah and it would be awesome i mean it would
0: you got (laughs) you got to keep water flowing the whole time yeah if i'm super rich i don't care about that i want to play that natalie merchant song again but we got to be on the same page okay this movie was boring yuppie drag yeah cool we're back i just want to thank you
1: i really wish they'd done a better job with this yeah but you you chose this to be our first one back i thought we would
0: have fun like burying it and i am having a little bit of fun i'm having fun but we're getting kind of one note i think i know there weren't any
1: other notes in this goddamn movie Hey,
0: this thirty for thirty was like watching a, re- a recorder recital. That's how one note, <laughs> About how flat and one noted it was. And like and like I said, on paper the way they described their approach, I'd be like, okay, that'd be interesting. But after sitting through it, it'd be like, nah, maybe like a, some cool narration would have been better than what we actually got. What this has got wh- some cutaway cartoons. Honestly, anything. This is one of the times where I'm like, I wish the generic 30 for 30 formula did kick in on this one in particular, because this is proof that a good idea still needs
1: a proper execution. I feel like the hands-off version of it, sometimes that's good. When you got an interesting story to tell, you just let the, the clips and the highlights flow and the narrative of what actually happened. You don't all have to be Steve James up in the middle of your story to tell it, mm-hmm. but just having the two of them interview each other... It it didn't work at all. No, it was just like a little too. I don't
0: know. They just, it. They were a little too inside of their own little bubble. You know what I'm saying? Their own. they they uh, under they understood they understood the context of each other, but they didn't understand how to make it interesting to anyone. Like even if I was just sitting there having like dinner with them, I I probably would have zoned droned out because it doesn't sound like they really didn't bring their like most interesting selves to the table but the truth is maybe their 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 exceptionalism is on the court and i can understand that and i can respect that they put all that work their whole lives into that i can't t- i can't take that away from them i can respect that like listening to a hockey player talk about anything other than hockey it's like whoa dude let's go back to talking about hockey fam you know what i'm saying i think it's kind of like that
1: yeah, it was. Or maybe they're just too far away from it now. And they're, you know, ensconced in these comfortable lives, away from tennis for the most part. Even the scene where they went out together to hit some balls seemed incredibly forced, and neither of them were trying at all. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how so, long... No, I, I think you nailed that, man. Even if you were in that room with Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova while they're talking throughout this 30 for 30, you're in the third uh, white leather chair off to the side with a bowl <laughs> of... Uh, Frozen coconuts or some shit behind uh, you, <laughs> some, like some uh,
0: potpourri bowl. I'm next to a potpourri bowl.
1: Yep, a piece of uh, driftwood that's not actually driftwood, but it's been aged to look like driftwood, and, and it's carved. Like, on the, yeah, it's got a, it's carved into a sailboat. That's right in front of you on the coffee table with nothing else on it. So you're sitting there. You've got you might have your feet tucked up behind you like Chris Everett does, just showing how comfortable you are in the room. You're on your third glass of wine. And you're still like, Ugh. Mom and her friend are talking about some boring stuff again.
0: Yeah, yeah. What kind of magazines are on the guest <laughs> guest room table in that
1: house? There aren't any. None? Really? There can be nothing on any on uh, t- surfaces in it, these houses. It, that might actually bring too much color into this coastal uh, room. It could be interesting if you see something on top of a table that's not uh, decor designed not to be interacted with. Mm.
0: Well, I think we've said all we can say
1: about it. All right, I'm going to go ahead and give unmatched 0.5 out of 5 hertzogs. That's right, just half a hertzog for what could have been a decent story and maybe the skeleton of an all-right idea, but it wasn't. It was just boring as shit.
0: And I give it also 0.5, which brings it to a total of 1 out of 10 hertzogs.
1: I did not appreciate it. Um and but you know what can you do? I I came up against the Osmonds of of women's tennis so it was hard to compete with that.
2: Coach, 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 coach. Die elegant Alley- schön losgehen. Mm-hmm.
0: So, how are you doing, man? How are you doing? I mean, you we, know, we just kind of had this stuff. Cover- We kind of just had this conversation before we hit record. I didn't know how to open this episode.
1: Man, nothing changes these days anyways. It's
0: true. It's kind of all the same, depending on who you are. But um, I hope you're hanging in there,
1: having some good mental
0: health days. I know this shit can be rough on the mind sometimes.
1: It's a grind. It's a grind for sure. But, you know, we got got sports back. Spring training is about to start, which is always nice. Give us Even a... if I won't get to make my trip this year to okay. go down and scout, And the Preds are bad for like the first time <laughs> I can remember.
0: Oh gosh, it's are we going to go back to, you know, back in the day, early Preds days, you could get $10 nosebleeds. Maybe that'll Man. happen
1: again. We were talking about this for an episode of Walk It Off and had to go back and look through the stats. The Preds haven't had a losing record in a full season since five years after the team was formed. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> been good for so long, we've been spoiled. It's so weird having them bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, gosh, they gotta pick it up, because when the Preds get bad, then, like, st- the, st- the overall stability of existence
1: comes... Nah, in they're the- past that point.
0: I don't know. It could always they're, come back. They're in man.
1: no danger anymore. Well, they're, they're playing in It City. There's a new <laughs> condo every five seconds. Oh,
0: It City? Yeah, this <laughs> This town somehow manages to survive like bullshit. There, that, there will be some condo bubble, but actually, no, it won't. Nashville's got the perfect formula, right? It used to be a cheap town, and then everyone's like, oh, I only get to pay $1,500 for a single-room apartment? And, and then it's like, well, yeah, well, we were all paying like uh, 700 before you showed up. Let's burn the city down. Do you want to <laughs> burn the city to the ground?
1: Oh shit! This is what happens when they're bad for half a season, huh? Here's what you do. Yeah,
0: when the Preds start getting bad, hey, just... the Titans are good again. Okay. Oh yeah, that's true. The Titans are good. I guess there's got to be a balance there. But yeah, when the Preds are bad, it just makes you want to like pack a camper full of explosives and <laughs> drive drive to a downtown. No, look.
1: Too soon. Too we soon. We
0: kid. We kid. Christmas memories. Taking um...
1: out our internet. <laughs>
0: God damn it! I tried to make the most of it. You know that moment. Did you lose Christmas your Christmas without
1: internet? It's like a fucking uh, Hallmark movie at these points. The the Christmas without internet. I wandered outside my house and met a single dad with three kids. <laughs> that there was like news reports of people
0: like trying to find and hope for. <laughs> and you know what? It, it, it that was scary. A bomb fucking goes off in downtown Nashville on Christmas Day. But, like, these, the way they force this inspiration, this sense of inspiration, some dude, like, came up and he was like, yeah, I drove all the way from Franklin to come support Nashvilleians. And it's like, thanks?
1: That's like 15 minutes, dude.
0: It's just, I'm so sick of forced inspiration. And now, like, COVID commercials and shit, it's so annoying. It's like, well, it's like, Amazon, you don't own COVID, all right? You literally... <laughs> You're literally, like, building homeless shelters for your employees because you don't pay them enough money. It's cheaper for you to build homeless shelters and actually pay your employees who are working harder during the pandemic.
1: But don't worry, they did pay out some bonuses to bust the union attempts.
0: Oh, you want to unionize? Here's
1: some here's some money. Is that what happened
0: in Mississippi recently? I know they were trying to unionize down there.
1: Yeah, Alabama. They were, <laughs> they were incentivizing people to... Uh... To not come in during the union vote days. Oh my gosh, give! Hey, you want the day
0: off? Paid day? God damn, that's shady as fuck, dude. <laughs> Guys, they have. If you you look, Amazon warehouses, you're all listening. They to to do these next day deliveries, they have to have you. You can say fuck y'all if y'all get together, and they have to do it. Whoa, be whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa! Slow down, man. Then I won't get my salt and pepper shakers in one day. <laughs> my
0: cheap. Salt and peppers, shakers. We feed. Them. We
1: live in this world too. All right. Thanks,
0: slavery, for delivering my coffee the next day. Hey, you want a job? Times are tough. Now we're gonna go through some quick hits, Drew, because ever for the last ever since COVID and my my sports consumption has been at an all-time low. But I did watch, you know.
1: How? You're inside your house all the time. Watch some sports.
0: There is a lot of pro wrestling going on, I'll say that. Oh, that's right. I was watching playoff football and stuff. That was fun. I think football probably suffers the least, I would say, overall, from what I can tell, in COVID. Because I felt like, I mean, they were at, like, a certain capacity. (laughs) But it didn't seem like to matter that much if fans were there to me when watching the games, the way they focused the camera work and stuff.
1: Dude, everybody's... uh... You you just got to decide how much you're okay with with I, putting up with putting people at risk to do things that aren't necessarily essential. I feel like hockey is probably suffers the most
0: being like limited to no fans. Don't you think?
1: That, that- especially here because you know we're so used to that rowdy house and that awesome, really great six man and everything. Yeah, yeah. And just having a great crowd here in Smashville, Tennessee getting fired up and you know chanting along with Paul for every PA announcement right, right. yeah it, it, it definitely suffers for the atmosphere and the visual game too like, hockey is such a fun game to watch mm. and it's a it definitely is suffering for not having fans banging on the penalty box yelling at people and just having these tarps up and of course they decided to subsidize that loss of of people there by putting up ads every single place they can possibly put an ad to try to make some of that money back they're losing at the gate that's taken away from the visual product a bit
0: remember when uh, the broncos put south park characters in their stands that was fucking awesome um what about baseball i didn't watch any baseball this past couple of years how 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 was that vibe without fans
1: it's it's a war right now man between the players union and management
0: oh shit are they can't a...
1: decide on anything
0: are we getting another lockout
1: possibly next season because these t- two sides are so far apart mm. they don't trust each other at all uh, management is basically trying to use the loss of income to push that all onto the players mm-hmm. and say all right let's have less games we'll pay you less money uh, we're not giving out big salaries and the players like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. no uh, you know we're the ones taking the risk we accept it in exchange for getting our full salaries <laughs> Damn. and playing this game And just neither side's willing to budge, and that's why we end up at this stupid-ass situation with some poor management on both sides. And we get a a year when it's spring training right now. Spring training games start in just days right? from when we're recording this episode. And we still don't know for sure how many playoff teams are going to be there this season, if the National League's going to use the DH or not. How are minor league teams holding up during this? (laughs) Major League Baseball used the pandemic to eviscerate the minor leagues and put it all under its thumb.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, consolidating all that power. Wow. So this
1: is the first year, all those weird little leagues that we've had that were these kind of informal groups of teams that strung themselves together. There's none of that shit anymore. Our Nashville sounds don't play in the Pacific Coast League anymore, as ridiculous as that was, huh. because <laughs> now it's all been... Reordered by Major League Baseball. They cut out a whole bunch of teams to kind of streamline the product. So, like they... a bunch of
0: like, maybe a, did a bunch of like this, like the Kingston Spring, Kingston, Tennessee, these
1: single A clubs. Are they just gone now? Yep. Good luck on your own without a Major League t- players on your team. Wow. So, all these teams got cut out. Our Tennessee teams did pretty good. Mm-hmm. The two double A teams are still there. The triple A sounds went back to Milwaukee. As part of the realignment, the Brewers are now sending their players here to Nashville. Okay. And the Sounds are in the Eastern Conference of AAA right now, as opposed to the Pacific Coast League. So the one benefit of that is that you're going to have a lot more rivals that make sense. Yeah, Our sort of local teams, the Braves, AAA team, the Cardinals, the Reds, they'll all play against the Sounds. N- the Nash- and we'll get to see Yankees s- and Red Sox and stuff like that that hasn't been there in years because we have been playing the Pacific teams.
0: The Nashville Sounds is our Nashville's local AAA ball team. We should point that out. I figured they'd be fairly safe, but yeah. Yeah, they
1: just got a new stadium. They got good infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I- they'll be wanting to keep them around.
0: I ha- also have not minded. I've, been, I've actually been craving some NBA lately. I want to watch some Grizz this week. Yeah, man. Uh, but I feel like the... The way they've done it in the NBA is also like, okay. I mean, you definitely prefer fans there as well, but I think what they've done has been as, you know, as good as you can make it.
1: What the NBA and the NHL have missed from when they put all that money into the bubble, well, first of all, is player safety. Mm. Now there's tons of games getting delayed everywhere because if you're not in the bubble situation, you're going to have positive tests. That's just the world we live in now. Right. But they put all that production value into making it exciting they had those screens the boards with fans in there and they had it set up so it felt like you know some game experience they're not putting that money into every game during the regular season now now it's just kind of dead space around the courts <coughs>
0: George Steinbrenner going around in a golf cart he starts to cry and I just thought this is going to be an amazing film
2: they're gonna knock it down bro culture
0: rock we continue a journey a journey to watch every 30 for 30 film this is a journey that continues from our classic show Documenteers, which you can still hear and uh, all Drew's episodes are marked 30 for 30 so go back check those out but we are going to be talking today about uh, one, the one we're talking about today is called "The House of Steinbrenner," by Barbara Koppel. and this is a time. This uh, what this takes place between 2008 and 2010, right? And it's about the Yankees at this time, and this is kind of the end, the tail end of an era of the Yankees, right? Remember, whenever like a sports team anywhere in the in North America would win a lot and seem to have a lot of money. Uh, people would be like, though, this team is the, the Yankees of this sport or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah the evil it, it empire times. The, yeah, the evil empire. And, the, and I didn't know... Sh- I knew that George Steinbrenner existed. I'm not a Yankees guy. Like, I just don't care, generally. But uh, I didn't know he was such a giant dick like that. He's also kind of... I also like how um, very emotional he is. <laughs> it seems to be some with these big personalities in our culture where the louder they are like the most the more emotional about
1: half the interviews and there were so so many interviews in so the 30, for 30 about half of them had someone tearing up and crying at how much the Yankees meant to them
0: we've watched 30 for 30s where people about people overdosing and dying and getting shot and getting locked up rate like race rights and shit like that and we haven't this is the most we've ever seen anyone cry in a thirty for thirty, easily.
1: Yeah, half the interviews where I'm so emotional right now. We'll be going across the street, but uh, personally, that's going to be like my son's building. Are you crying? As
0: opposed to this is my building, and you know we just want to get through today and go from there.
2: <laughs> Are you crying?
0: And one thing that this also lacked that's different from all other thirty for thirties, which is a big blow to it in my opinion. A point. touch base. <laughs> oh, that's a good. A good. The fact that it has no point is a good point. Also, with the ex- there was a there was like a brief segment where people are like talking about their memories. So you do get to see a Lou Gehrig speech, the Roger Maris home run. Once it goes beyond that, like few minutes, there's really no cool highlight reel. Right? in this one, <laughs> it's like, yo, we're talking about history here, and I understand and respect the fan perspective, but I felt a little disconnected because. There wasn't, I mean, it just to kind of assume that I do know these classic Yankee names when you go back into history,
1: this movie pretended that everyone was a Yankees fan. You know what I'm saying? That's a great point. Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons I like being here and talking with you about these 30 for 30s. We have different perspectives on a lot of this stuff. As someone who grew up in New York, I didn't think about that because I know all of these people. All of these people are constantly around me, just being Yankee fans and putting that in their identity. There are a lot of good New York accents. (laughs) And -hmm. we had a lot of people real emotional, but to somebody who wasn't a Yankee fan or wasn't around these people, I don't really know what you would have got from this 30 for 30. This is the first one that really felt like, it almost felt like a commercial to me. It felt like one of those highlight videos that you see advertised the second a team wins a championship, you know, before a big concert, the clip show that just tells you, oh, here's all the awesome stuff that happened this year. It didn't feel very documentary-ish to me, which was a shame because it had good stories. You know,
0: this vibe like like you would get a DVD of um, say, like when a sports team wins a World Series, be like, hey, now you buy the Yankees 2009 World Series victory DVD. And this, this would be like the eighth bit of extra content on the DVD that's just tacked on. This is what this 30 for 30 felt like. There was nothing trying to be kind of unique. It, it was like there was a lot of wobbly walking cameras. And I felt a little cold with it because I'm watching people like literally like elderly men talking about how they're... Went to watch games and I'm uh, when they were eight years old, seeing Mickey Mantle and shit. And it's like, why don't I care? Why am I laughing? Why am I just glazing over at all of this? So like, because you know, that's
1: I... all there was, <laughs> it just was so repetitive. We're gonna ask seven million Yankees fans, What do you like about the Yankees? And Gee, i get kind of tired after five. It is kind of like the same thing over and over again. But
0: we start off, Drew, with a Yankees parade, 2009, baby, Jeter, motherfucking
1: Jeter, am I right? Some good footage, too, from the Canyon of Heroes, The how exciting it is having that parade down New York City.
0: We're we're also getting cuts in of uh, Steinbrenner, it looks like it's from probably the 80s, early 90s, talking about how when he grew up in Cleveland, he used to go to the airport when the Yankees would come to town and watch them come in watch their bags come in that was back in the day when you could just hang out at airports even if you didn't have a (laughs) plane ticket
1: and the yankees were just such a big deal especially if you didn't get to see them often you just think of that history if you're a baseball fan in cleveland yeah seeing the yankees must be incredible they've won so many world championships compared to cleveland who just doesn't win championships
0: probably cursed by that cartoon head after all these years yeah, we did what, get
1: to see some Chief Wahoo mascoting.
0: That that imagery is kind of like hard, it's like a like a very like a Tex Avery cartoon from like 1940.
1: Man, it still cracks me up as we sit here in the year 2021, where the Indians have declared that they that the name Cleveland Indians has no place in modern society and is wrong. But we're yeah. going to use it for one more year until we can think of something else. <laughs>
0: It's always like one more year, right? And um, God, I mean, even the name—it's—I don't with the with with the Cleveland Indians. It's more a lot of it's more that image than the name. That image is awful. They try the to phase out, but yeah. I hear you know I hear tribes go back and forth on their opinions on like um, you know whether Indian works or not. It seems like there's not as mu- like there's not as much consensus on that. There is a consensus amongst that fucking image that like let's not use that fucking image so
1: and they've tried to go away, away from that in recent years finally but you still got that certain set of fans who's like i love the major league movies it's sacred <laughs> and look i love the major league movies yeah they're funny yeah but we move forward and it's okay i'm not get out there getting rick wild thing vaughn haircuts how come
0: nothing bad existed when i was a
1: kid won't exist no more now and it's okay to not see, you know, a pair of glasses with skulls on the corner of them anymore. <laughs> I could like the movies without caring about the iconography. <laughs>
0: right, right. You can, like, you know, analyze these things. So, But also, we're approaching the final game at, at the old Yankee Stadium. How old did they say this building was? Built in
1: 1923.
0: Yeah, and we meet an old man who's 93. He went to his first game at 8 which is around, I think that works out to around when this stadium was, was originally opened. He, I love that he said he loved Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle.
2: Joe D, what about Joe DiMaggio?
0: Yeah, he was all right.
1: What did Joe D ever do to you? If I didn't sign an autograph.
0: And this is pretty much what most of this movie is. Sticking a camera in people's faces for, the, for like the first half of it and being like, what well, do you think about this? You got little kids being like, uh, the history here is important. One kid who it's was like, super uh, eloquent. My father and I, he was seven years old. My father and I, <laughs> we enjoy our time here at the old Yankee ballpark. There's plenty of uh, history here.
1: it uh... might now, lose Drew, a little a... bit of that savoir faire when you moved to the new stadium across the street. Now,
0: Drew, you grew up a Mets fan. Uh, so you probably thought all these people were lesser, subhuman, perhaps?
1: <laughs> no, I think they're boring. That's <laughs> what I think they are. <laughs> Uh, this you know you root for the yankees is like rooting for the house in poker like oh here's this team that always wins let me root for them and then you get mad when they lose in the first round of the playoffs like fire the manager they lost in the first round of the playoffs right when you're a mets fan you make the first round of the playoffs and you're like hell yeah this year was awesome the yankees as the empire
0: of baseball is kind of diminished though right what did they what when was their last world series wasn't it
1: I mean, look. Well, this is something cur- that I wanted to bring up late in the episode. They're talking about. They start open with the 2009 World Series, the Yankees' 27th championship parade. Mm-hmm. That's the last one the Yankees have won. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we've got now the curse of Barbara Koppel.
0: Whoa, Bar- You you think Barbara Copple? You think Barbara Copple is the goat, uh, yeah. the cursed goat of the Yankees right now?
1: She got this plum position. To make a 30 for 30 in this incredibly important year where you're not only transitioning from the ownership, the bombastic leadership of George Steinbrenner, to his more relaxed sons, Hal and Hank, who Hank doesn't even get mentioned in this for some reason. Uh, Yeah, I don't even know who that is. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't mentioned at all for some reason in this 30 for 30. At the same time as the Yankees move from the historic house that Ruth built, 1923 Yankee Stadium to new Yankee Stadium and went and made, well, let's just be honest here, a boring-ass 30 for 30 about it. This this is fucking boring. (laughs) This 30 for 30 is boring. There were
0: parts that I kind of leaned onto. I really kind of, because I knew so little about George Steinbrenner.
1: You're not going to learn much about it for this one.
0: I felt like I I knew so little, truly. But when I was talking about how he was a tough boss and he admits that he's impatient... And how George fired so many managers over the years. He was just, he wanted every inning, every game to be a thing. They talked about how in the Yankees system, obviously they had to throw around money because George would get get so impatient in developing rookies. In baseball, the coming up in that system, you got to have a little patience. You know, you got great players, but they still need to take their time to develop most of the time. You don't... It's not often that you get like guys that are just like crushing it right out the gate.
1: You were the Yankees. You are expected to win every single year. George Steinbrenner demanded that you win every single year. So their farm system for so many years was kind of looked at as, as a means to that end. You weren't developing young players. You were the Yankees. Let other teams develop your players. And then you can trade your young players or use your cash and free agency to take those players from other teams once they're already developed. And they're sure things there were no time for development as the Yankees, even if they weren't winning throughout the entire eighties. But I did like, that was the one piece of like whimsy that was in this 30 for 30 was the little scroll of all the managers that were fired in and out.
0: Yeah, that was funny. And George admits he likes things very tense. And I did uh, kind of enjoy watching like a small montage of him being very animated at games that's the part that I latched onto, and, it, and I wish it expounded upon it some more because seventy-five percent of this stock of this thirty for thirty is just fans crying at a camera.
2: So, Look what are the memories <laughs> that you have? I love the stadium. I think it's a great stadium, and we have a lot of memories here. I am crying. <laughs> I don't want to cry. In the and
0: then you got fifteen minutes of a little bit of the dichotomy between George's style and his son's style, who would take over Operation. And I loved how different they were, uh, which is very funny. But they were talking about in the past, in the 80s, the Yankees pretty much ate shit until George was suspended
1: for a while, right? I wish they had gone into any detail about this. I needed more information. Over. I can. That's why you bring me in here. Thank <laughs> These you. These great sports stories. <laughs> like... Dave Winfield was brought over from the Padres to the Yankees as a superstar player. The same thing. They let him develop on the other team, and then the Yankees give him a big contract to come be a Yankee and win some championships for them. Well, he wasn't playing up to Steinbrenner's standards. They didn't get along. They were feuding. So Steinbrenner, in his impatience, in his, you know, kind of being that demagogue personality, said, well, he's not earning the contract that I gave him. So he goes out and he hires... A small time private eye gambler As they said in this movie To dig up some dirt on Winfield So that he can try to void his contract He hired someone (laughs) To go out there and get dirt on his own player So that he could fire him and get out of the contract Did they even mention Winfield's name? If they did it was just in passing For one quick moment I don't even know if they mentioned That he was Steinbrenner's own player on his team
0: The information you just told me Is more interesting than anything else in this documentary, it is not. I would love a thirty for thirty on
1: that. That's what I yeah. kind of thought this might have been. The House of Steinbrenner would talk about this incredible house of cards that Steinbrenner built by being both insufferable and beloved at the same time. That would have been really interesting. But they were talking about how this point in which he is suspended for a bit that actually helped the Yankees with the baseball operations people that he's hired to kind of run the, the baseball part of his organization without Steinbrenner on their back being impatient for every single game every single win they were actually allowed to develop the team a little bit more instead of just chasing the big name moment after moment and they go out there and they develop that 90s Yankees who are now absolutely beloved this generation of winning Yankees who were kind of the last baseball dynasty the cheater, Pettit, Mariano Rivera, Yankees, basically started in this two and a half year period that Steinbrenner was sidelined. Boy, you know, Tom Hanks said,
0: There's no crying in baseball! But in this 30 for 30, there is actually, it looks like you have to cry in baseball. They make it seem like it's a requirement. In years to come, when they go
1: to the new stadium,
2: they'll look across at the park that's gonna be here. Are you crying? And think about me. That would
1: be good. It's emotional. The old stadium was coming down. When Shea Stadium came down, I was incredibly emotional. And Shea Stadium was an absolute dump. <laughs> but it was our dump. <laughs> and there were heroes there. There was the 86 Mets. There's memories of when you go to games as a kid. They had neon figures on the side of the, ga- of the stadium walls that you drove by as a New Yorker every time you're going down the highway. I like this story
0: that referenced the dogged nature of of the emotionally reactionary uh, George Steinbrenner by Tom McEwen, a writer who was uh, in Botswana for some reason or another, and tells a story about how a Jeep rolls up and says, George Steinbrenner's on the phone, and he, I guess he wanted to talk to him about an article he had written or some <laughs> shit. Also, George cries. Um, half of George's scenes in the past, we see him crying. A lot right. of people out there are, uh,
1: waving hey, hello. to you, George.
2: 32 years ago, you bought the Yankees. It will go down
1: as the greatest investment in sports history. $10 million, maybe worth a billion. Did anybody try to to discourage you at that time? Friends or investors say, no, it's not going to be a good deal? No. no. <laughs> I don't think so. No, No. not the Yankees' were. Right, right. George, a little emotional
2: there. Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. George. We can, see, we can sense that. All right. Everyone's a-
1: fucking crying. That's why this felt like just such a clip show, like a little highlights video, a montage of that you'd get on those championship package DVDs. It didn't delve into anything. And again, that Steinbrenner story would be so fascinating, this kind of heroes or villain story. Yeah. Because, yeah, he was an incredibly tough boss. I'm sure there's plenty of stories that, being the times it was, didn't come out of him absolutely horrifically mistreating people. But at the same time, It was all from the single-minded pursuit of winning. And as we sit here in 2021 talking about baseball, half the teams in the league don't give a shit about winning. Their owners are just there to rake in money. And they're not reinvesting that money in the team. They're not buying the best players. There's three or four teams this season who are actually willing to pay money to bring players in regardless of how good they are. The Colorado Rockies just dumped their superstar, Nolan Arenado, and paid off some of his salary to go to the Cardinals. Why? That's not a winning baseball move you're making. I've heard like maybe I've heard maybe about We need more m- owners who care about winning.
0: I've heard that's the nature of modern sports ownership is that there you don't have a lot of owners these days that are only focused solely on the the arena or the team that they own. It's usually like in like a portfolio of their rich guy bullshit. Exactly. So, you want
1: owners who are also fans of the team that they own. <laughs>
0: and apparently if you a lot of your wealth is solely wrapped around into a sports team then it's kind of actually easy to go into the red when you start throwing money around so we're getting like a sports world in which the ownership of a lot of these teams involves like these guys that have like monopolies of other corporations and stuff like that like they they have to be blanketed it almost becomes like almost like a like a trophy like for a lot of super wealthy people who own these teams it's like it's not so much their sole source of income, but almost like a like a trophy wife, like a nice item that they can show off and, and claim that they, like, own something. I mean, this, Trump tried to buy a football team for years, right? We know that story from past 30 for 30s, and we know it would have been for the, the same reason. I mean, he obviously, he probably would have sunk that team, which, as he sunk like a fucking casino, right? Because he literally sunk a, a place where people just <laughs> hand you their paycheck, but, you know.
1: Yeah, man, it's a different story. And with the rules that came in to try to help those smaller market teams with the revenue sharing, and uh, with the TV contracts, these giant contracts that get split up equally among teams, if you're a team that's not spending out a ton of money for players, you're just putting that money straight into your own pockets while you're building you're municipalities to pay that your share of building new stadiums so you can sell more of those $6,000 luxury boxes it's yeah it's difficult and we saw Hank Steinbrenner who again is not even mentioned in this who actually died last year in 2020 oh wow Hal's brother who was also a managing partner of the Yankees I do not know why he was never mentioned in this 30 for 30
0: I like we said at the beginning this vibes like like if you're watching this you're probably a Yankees fan
1: yeah and you're supposed to know all this stuff already
0: George he doesn't get any younger and he actually gets much older and quieter and he gives uh, control to Hal Steinbrenner, the youngest.
1: And Steinbrenner Hank. and Hank. <laughs> so he <laughs> Who it did was split. not get mentioned in this. They so had different sh- roles. Hal was the number one managing partner. But yeah. Hank was a big part of the team as well. He was kind of the more he of was a the direct more George liaison. Steinbrenner type.
0: See, I don't even know about Hank. This documentary, like, what what is going on? <laughs> like the even the shot style could not be more basic. You could. You could shoot this on a phone and be around the same quality. I felt like it was just so, everything just felt so fucking tacked on and with the emotional weight just presumed.
1: It was totally phoned in. (laughs) This could have been another incredibly interesting story, that transfer between a father and the son who is not at all like him. Hal Steinbrenner is the introverted one. He's not big on the promoting himself as part of the Yankees. And he kind of fades into the background. And he still is. He's still there today. He he was the youngest. He talked
0: about how he's alone a lot, went to military academy. He's very much a logical dude. He talks about how he likes checklists. He <laughs> likes doing finances. And it it was kind of interesting, the contrast uh, between Hal and George. Like, like, he's a giant nerd, and George is, you know, kind of this, like, a big personality whereas Hal's like I like flying the planes and crunching the numbers and it, it is interesting you get people separating them in their mind I felt like people were questioning why Hal is now in this position but again you're telling me about this other brother they didn't even fucking mention who seemed to be filling that angle that Hal couldn't which, do- a which little doesn't bit seem up. he
1: was no George
0: sure well it seemed like not a lot of people were George exactly but- But the fact that there is a guy there who's, you know, doing the other half of the job seems like a pretty big fucking deal because they're making it like, like no one likes Hal, no one likes Hal when Hal is just doing something very specific, like half of what half of a job, basically.
1: Well, Hank Steinbrenner kind of ran the Tampa organization of the Yankees. Their, Mm. their kind of home offices and their spring training facility and everything there. He wasn't a real public fixture in New York. And it seems like this 30 for 30, this director didn't even bother going to talk to him. Like, hey, he's not in New York. Just got him out of the story. It's very strange. Uh, Hank's the one who in later years would get in trouble with Major League Baseball for his quotes, for going back and forth with the Red Sox and for calling out these small market teams for just pocketing money instead of putting it back in the team. We see more of Ginny Steinbrenner, the sister, who kind
0: of has more of like a PR approach. When we first saw Ginny, she's like riding in a little cart next to George. And I thought that was George's trophy wife at first because Jenny, but then you later found out it's the sister, Jenny Steinbrenner and Jenny looks like, yeah, George's daughter. And she looks like, like a comic strip caricature of like a high society person. Like if you ask someone, just draw, draw a New York rich person, you'd probably come up with something like a rich lady. You'd probably come up with something like Jenny Steinbrenner. Her look, she seemed so weirdly cartoonish to me. It was interesting. I don't know why that struck me like that.
1: I did like that scene where she's bringing along the ESPN film crew that's filming this on a tour of New Yankee Stadium as it's being built. And she can't turn off the PR exec personality. So she's just chatting them up and small talk. And then she takes them into one of the suites that's just being built. And I was like, this is a party suite. Uh, You know, (laughs) ESPN, you want to have your Christmas party here? You can rent all of these out. And the screen flashes like $6,000 per suite. 6K, yeah. I'm sure it's way more today. Oh, I bet.
0: We had a part where the marketing director feels the need to say something or Barbara weighs in. And it's one of those forced inspiration moments that kind of just made me gag where she's like, we're walking out of this building, but we're going home to Yankee Stadium. The most oversimplified like Hallmark bullshit. I don't even think Hallmark would pay you for this bullshit.
1: (laughs) This brings me to kind of the third already part of this story that could be interesting but is a missed opportunity. This transition between the old Yankee Stadium and new Yankee Stadium which is taking place at the same time as the transition of ownership of everyday managing partnership of George Steinbrenner to his sons. There's a couple of moments that are great, like the one where the old bat boy is there and he's talking about a pillar on the wall in the bowels of old Yankee Stadium that was mm. painted with an image of Lou Gehrig sitting on a chair crying after after coming back inside from his famous i'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth speech and he came to the realization
2: that he was never gonna get better again are you crying and at that moment he just like got up and walked out of the locker room as quickly as he he possibly could because he just was hoping that no one would see him cry no crying
1: they later painted other yankee captains like thurman munson who tragically died in a plane crash and derek jeter and he brings yeah. Jeter to finally see this before the new, the old stadium is going to be torn down. And again, another emotional scene ensues. They're
2: going to knock it down, bro. She's crying, sir.
1: That's interesting stuff. That's fascinating. These incredible memories that are lost when you move from a historic stadium to a new place, that even besides the ones that all these fans that are interviewed ad nauseum have, this is something that... Even the most hardcore Yankee fan probably didn't even know existed this painted pillar down in a room that was used to repair chairs.
0: So, that Lou Gehrig mural on that pillar was painted by a Bat Boy after Lou made that speech?
1: No, he said that the Bat Boy kind of commissioned somebody else, I think.
2: I asked uh, a good friend to give me what Gehrig would have looked like that day. Give me what you have, give me what you feel. And in essence, he did. The art on
0: that pillar. I kind of wanted a little more detail on it because I felt like, I mean, in my brain, like I said, I'm not a Yankees fan. I'm critiquing the art style of the mural, but It wasn't super great. (laughs) No, but but it's okay. I understand that it had like an emotional weight to it.
1: Those could be fascinating stories. All the history that's lost when you move between the stadium. The scenes of them actually tearing down Yankee Stadium. Those were great. Those blew me away.
0: Watching giant structures getting torn down is is an interesting thing to see.
1: And it was also fascinating watching them squeeze every dollar out of it, <laughs> as they auction off the signs and they auction off the yeah. dirt. <laughs> did you, did when they tore down uh, the
0: old Mets stadium? Did you did they did you buy any freeze dried grass or anything?
1: I <laughs> uh, might have a thing or two. Might also have this sitting right behind me, which is a brick from the old Yankee Stadium oh wow so you so
0: you got in on the the fad of the buying the hunks of Yankee Stadium oh uh,
1: maybe maybe not let's just say I have like, one now did you pay for this or did you steal it I did not steal it all right okay <laughs> but I did not buy it from the Yankees auction site
0: I wouldn't I wouldn't rat you out <laughs> where this isn't recorded or anything you can tell
1: me <laughs> but it's history man it's baseball history even if you're not a Yankees fan Yankee Stadium the house that Ruth built is a colossal figure in the game's history so it could have been a great 30 for 30 just just watching that get torn down as they move to someplace else and i did like a couple scenes in the interview because they did take kind of both sides of the story They have opening day when the new stadium opens and everyone walks in and they're like, oh my God, it's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, it's so great. I love this new stadium. Uh, I love how the sushi sushi is such
0: a huge boat of contention. (laughs) So far,
1: everything we see is beautiful. The artwork, the photographs can't be better. I was a little surprised by the sushi. But then they do interview people outside too who are like, they're pricing out the real fans. There's sushi bars and art galleries and we don't care about none of this stuff. There's a heart rock at
0: the first guy they talk to, that they have, yeah, like you said, they got people being like,
2: this is great, this is great.
0: And then you have the first guy. I mean, I just spent $100
2: on four sandwiches and four drinks.
0: And then you have another guy that goes like, I hate it. We hate the new Yankee Stadium.
2: The new Yankee Stadium was built for people that
0: aren't true fans. The true fans don't want a sushi bar and an art gallery and a hard rock cafe. They want a hot dog, a beer, and a clean line to see the field. That's what they want. This was built for people that are not true Yankee fans. I definitely understand like the cost of attending like these sports events. They are outrageous. It seems like you know it's if you really want to see these games live, it seems like it's just a lot of a lot. Kind of you kind of have to dip into your savings if you want to go see good events. But at the same time, you could tell that this guy in particular is like, in his everyday life is probably this gatekeeping type where he is constantly trying to define everything for everybody. I mean, we're talking about the Yankees are like the, like we said, for a long time at this point, were the empire of baseball, right? So I certainly wasn't shocked at like the quotes of ticket prices that were going around. But they were talking about, like this one writer was talking about how he wrote an article where he took a $2,600 Yankee ticket price.
1: I wrote a column about a month ago where I took the $2,600
2: for one seat for one game. And I went to see six Broadway shows, two soup to nuts dinners and sardis. And I had
0: left over $685 to buy a ticket to the Met game. But Hal comes in and he says half the tickets (laughs) are 50 bucks and under,
1: which he's talking about upper deck. And like, weird angle seats. This is the best seat in the entire movie. When right after Hal says, There's not a bad seat in the house. They cut to a season ticket holder out in the bleachers who can't see half the field because there's like a Hard Rock Cafe patio in front of his seats and he's like oh there goes the hit where'd it go where'd it go i had a view at a tv what tv
2: do i have on the wall to look at something i can't see the screen you can't see nothing i've so uh, been 10 way. years i had great I seats stand. sitting out here and then this, this is why i'm treated you call this loyalty to fans it's Stop not loyalty. Complaining. Go back to play Go back to Flushing! No crying. There's no crying
1: in baseball. Oh, this guy's going to complain about his season tickets not being able you to could see, not the outfield see the left anymore. field at all. <laughs> but this guy's like, "Yeah, I've been
0: sitting here for years it's like, no, you literally haven't. This is <laughs> the first time these seats have existed." But they said that those obstructed bleacher tickets were $5. But yeah, people are like it's about the money, not the fans. tickets, you know, I'm going to be the $50 and under ticket guy wherever I go. So it's like, you know, I wouldn't expect to be sitting lower bowl. I'm not sure what those. Yeah, I think I would like to see see the the entire entire outfield outfield at the very least. I wonder how (laughs) much those tickets were specifically.
1: It was also interesting because this movie came out in 2010. We have to say that. This 30 for 30 came out in 2010, right after the Yankees won that World Series, their first season in the new Yankee Stadium. Again, I think that contributes a lot to that highlight, real, you know, championship, pat yourself on the back parade idea that this thing could almost cross. Maybe it came across a lot better when this was fresh and people were just comparing and contrasting a little bit, the Steinbrenner ownerships and the two stadias. Instead of, as we sit here over 10 years later... You
0: it is interesting anything. to look, it's not. A, it's a, it's just very much in this moment, and if you wanted to build a proper time capsule of the real history of the Yankees, well, they failed, honestly. They failed. They had these little moments, but you really could have brought more to a team in which, even if you don't know a lot about baseball, there it invokes a lot of names that are connected to the Yankees, you know? I, don't, I didn't, of course, you know, Mantle, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, all these people. Like, we know these names. They were a big deal in, like, the history of American sport. And I felt like, I mean, God, we've been saying it over and over again. It just assumed you knew contextually all this stuff. It really, what seemed like something that was supposed to be so all about the Yankees fans, they really provide such little context it was shot it was like lazy bad decisions and um gosh uh well Hal does win uh
1: world series that 2009 world series and that's it that's that's funny man that that's funny too when they interview they say hey the first year yankee stadium opened in 1923 the yankees won that world series the first year your new yankee stadium opened in 2009 the yankees won the world series yeah i guess they got to build plan a new on one you planning on building now. a new one this ending of the documentary was kind of a microcosm of the whole thing, too, where it just felt thrown together and and not really carefully done. They have a great scene that fades out that felt like the end of the movie, where you see an entire section of the stands of Yankee Stadium being pulled down by cranes, and then this cloud of dust comes up, and it takes over the whole screen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, that's a cool yeah. way to fade out the end of the movie. I like that. And then it comes right back on for, like, a tacked-on two minutes of people yeah. saying goodbye to George Steinbrenner after he died in twenty ten, which is probably exactly what happened since this movie was released in twenty ten. So they probably had finished it with that cloud of smoke ending and then George Steinbrenner died and they're like, Oh shit, we need to put this in. <laughs> How do we do it? Yeah, just tack it on to the end. Let's not try to, you know, actually make it so make sense in the context the of best the film of the the the
0: state of the Yankees since two thousand ten, since
1: we've seen this film. They're still one of the top spending li- teams in the league, of course. But they do concentrate on their farm system a bit more, and they've tried to not go over the competitive balance Mm. tax, which is an artificial threshold that just means you have to pay more money on top of it. So it's kind of for rich owners to say, oh, hey, we can't spend any more money because of the threshold. But they can, if they wanted to. George Steinbrenner probably would have been the person who would blow right past that every year and just say, the hell with the consequences. So there is definitely a difference between the ownership styles. It's been a little bit more frugal. And well, the Yankees haven't won a World Series in over a decade. If George Steinbrenner was still the owner of the team, we can only imagine that they'd be out there signing every big free agent out there. And Hal Steinbrenner's kind of receded a bit into the background. He's still there. Again, Hank Steinbrenner died in 2010. Haven't heard much from Jennifer Steinbrenner. I guess she was basically more of a PR role. At least from what we gathered from this 30 for 30. It really does seem about New Yorkers the consensus was that New Yankee Stadium yeah. just isn't that special. They tried really hard to to straddle this line without committing in either way. To make a modern stadium that was full of your luxury suites and hard rock cafes and all this bullshit that they feel like needs to be there to make the money in a modern stadium but also just kind of pay lip service to the amazing history by making it the exterior of it look exactly like the old Yankee stadium. So like there was only so much they could do within the structure and then transporting over stuff that again was more of just on the surface level. So
0: Drew, that's that mediocre crap. Um, if you heard our last episode, which is (laughs) live, laugh, love tennis, which I thought ended up being a pretty funny episode, (laughs) uh, that we have a new uh, way of gauging <laughs> a very inappropriate way that Drew still isn't into of gauging uh, a 30 for 30 rating. It's called the Build
1: House of Steinbrenner. Let's go with one out of five Hertzogs. Just one for cool pictures of the scu- the stadium collapsing and some crying Yankee fans. And yeah, that was it.
0: I give this 1.5 Hertzogs. That brings it to two point five out of ten Hertzogs. She's crying, sir. Anyway, that's the fucking Yankees, and that that fucking thirty for thirty. Drew.
1: May they never win a championship again.
0: They never will. The curse of Barbara Copple. It's your fault, Barbara. It's your fault. Aren't the dot? I in my mind, like the Dodgers are like the. Like, what we used to call the Yankees, in my mind, like the Dodgers are that now. Especially now that they've actually won a series, right?
1: Oh, yeah, with winning their division every year in a row that we can remember now. Yeah, so... But any team's still got a long way to go if they want to catch those 27 championships.
0: That is a lot, man. You can't deny that history, that's for sure. But, Drew... Uh, I think we had fun talking about how much this was, how mediocre this
1: was. So. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to talk to you, man. And I
0: appreciate your, your helping me round up with our roundup breakdown of what's going on in sports right now. I want to do that a little more often. Come up with some other angles. Not necessarily, they don't all have to be 30 for 30s, but like other interesting angles to discuss sports. I want to talk about... Uh, Oh, oh, you mean like I do every single week on the radio? Uh, Yeah, which, uh, (laughs) tell people where you can hear, where people can hear you do that. All
1: right, if you want to hear more about current sports, head on over to walkitoffradio.com or wxnafm.org, where you can listen through archives of all of our old shows. They're on weekly here on 101.5 FM in Nashville, Tennessee. Sunday nights talking sports with myself, Drew, and my co-host, Dave Sharp. We have a good time talking about it. We spent a lot of last episode getting into arguments about sports uniforms around (laughs) the new Nashville SC release and Adidas's reverse retro NHL uniforms, whatever the hell that means. It's good times.
0: And there you go, folks. And and, uh, that's all the time we have for today. And remember, fuck you.
1: That's the sign-off now? I don't know. I've been
0: experimenting with the (laughs) sign-offs. Do you have a better idea? I mean, than that?
1: (laughs) Um, I don't know. Well, at least you can close out this episode with Sinatra. So, okay, we'll do that. All right, baby. If you can make it there, you can make it some other place too.
0: Yeah, if you can make it there, you can make it uh, somewhere. Somewhere. All right, I'm stopping now.
1: Bye.
2: Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. Jorge hits a home run, and I got to ask him, which way, where did they go? What direction? Are crying? It's kind of rough. I mean, if they give him the seats away for nothing, I think it's a great deal. No crying. Give it to charity. It's a good thing. But you can't pay for these seats. There's no crying in baseball.